Grab your Bibles, if you would, please. Open them up to the book of Mark, chapter 11. Mark, chapter 11. We're starting a series today called House of Prayer. House of Prayer. Over the month of November, we're going to be focusing in on prayer, and we'll probably talk at some point about fasting as well. How many of you... How many of you could use a breakthrough in your life in some way, shape, or form? Just raise your hand. Fine. Just really felt challenged by the Lord to bring us back to who we are as a body. Sometimes we can get so focused on trying to solve concerns or life's problems in the natural. And we kind of do a token thing when it comes to prayer. Today I pray that I inspire you and remind you that you can call forth the will of God from heaven to earth in prayer. That as we pray, things change. Prayer is not a religious act when it comes to the body of Christ. Prayer is warfare. Prayer is business getting done. Prayer is creating the future. And I want to help us all come back to a place that prayer is not a waste of time. Prayer is not even just devotional time. Prayer is shaping the future of our generation. Prayer is moving mountains. Prayer is still taking out giants that God's people praying are still the mightiest force that's on this planet. And I want to remind us that this is not a little thing, that we are meant to be a house and a people of prayer. Mark chapter 11, let's look at verse 15. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple, began to drive out people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over tables and the money changers and their chairs and those who were selling doves. He stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace, and he said to them, The scriptures declare that my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You've turned it into a den of thieves. And I think sometimes when we get into so much business, business, business in the church or in the realm of even our lives, business, 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 we just forget that priority of why we exist. We're a place where people can come and call on God and see God break through. My house shall be a house of prayer, and I love this, for all the nations. You know, the Bible calls the place where we gather, calls us the church and the house of God, but he also calls you, the individual, the house of God. And so if we're going to be a house of God corporately, then it starts with us individually. How are we doing personally with being a house? Because you are the temple of the Spirit. How are we doing as the house of prayer? We'll never become a house corporate of prayer if individuals are not people of prayer. We are all the house of God, and we make up as living stones the living temple of God, each of us. Therefore, there needs to be a move of prayer that sweeps across our congregation and those watching online. Jesus said, my house, which is also you, the individual, shall be a house of prayer. One of the highest purposes of why we exist on this planet is not a house of worship, not a house of sermons, not a house of activity, but that we start as a house of prayer. Because if you start as a house of prayer, you're communing with God. Therefore, all your sermons are going to come from heaven. Therefore, all your worship is going to be filled with glory and power and presence. Therefore, all your activity already has the God factor included because those ideas came from your communing with God. We start as a house of prayer. Somebody say Amen. Why? Why does God want us to be a house of prayer? Is it to be religious? No. You know God isn't into religion, right? God didn't create religion. Man did. And religion was introduced after the fall. 
God created us for relationship, communion, interaction. It's not about being religious, saying, well, you're, you're a religious person, therefore that's why he's talking about being a person of prayer, because religious people pray. I'm not talking about praying religious prayers. I'm talking about praying prayers that make a difference. I'm talking about praying prayers that are governmental, governmentally backed by the kingdom authority of heaven, where the angels, the, the hosts, the armies of heaven go to work to change the earth. I'm talking about interaction with God's economy through prayer and the wisdom of God through prayer. Are you understanding this? This is not about religious talk or jargon or time or ceremony. This is about moving things forward. It's not about religion. Are you telling people to be people of prayer so they can be holy? No, because Jesus made you holy. You don't become more holy the more you pray. You can pray and be in the presence of God because you are holy. You're not earning God's love or earning holiness because you pray so much. We pray so much because we have access to the throne of grace. Why, if I have access to the audience of the greatest authority in the universe, why do I just go in occasionally? Why not go in often? You can go in as much as you want. You have a direct line to the God and creator of the universe, the answer to all the needs. Amen. We pray because God's people can access heaven and affect the earth. Our confidence, listen to me, our confidence is not in prayer. I do not have faith in prayer. Almost all religions pray. I have faith in the God who's listening on the other end of those prayers. I have faith in what he has said. I have faith in his character. I have faith in his desire to respond and to be involved. My confidence is not in prayer. For many religions pray. Our confidence is in the God who has chosen to listen and act on behalf of his children when they pray. Amen. You know, I love the, even the language used in that scripture. It says that my house will be a house of prayer for the nations. I believe it has two meanings. It means that all nationalities, all people are welcome to pray. That God doesn't love one culture or one nationality more than another because they're all God's children. I believe his house is a house of prayer for all God's people. But I also believe it means my house should be a house of prayer for all the nations because I also believe in that is also some faith that our prayers are powerful enough to affect the nations. Do you hear that? It's not just that every culture can pray, but that prayer can affect every culture. It's not just that people of all nations can pray, but that prayer is so powerful it can shape a nation. It can change a nation. It can restore and revive a nation. That from the temple back in Jerusalem, they would not only come from all nations, but they could pray for the nations. Are you hearing me? Can a people in prayer actually change the world? Answer. Yes. It's not just so much that I believe it. Do you believe it? Can people in prayer actually change the world? James chapter 5, verse 16. James chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Come on, somebody. The effectual, fervent, earnest prayer of a righteous person has great, say great, 
power. We're not talking about religious ceremony. We're talking about a powerful act. It produces results. It's not wasting time. This is not us just doing the religious stuff. Prayer gets results. Prayer gets results. Not because of our faith in prayer, because of our faith in the God who answers prayer. Wonderful results. You know, sometimes we're trying so many things in the natural except prayer. <laughs> we're trying every strategy, reading every book, listening to every podcast. But have we gone into the throne of grace? Have we waited on God for answers, for solutions? Have we declared his word and released angelic support? Or the word of faith, which still moves mountains? Speaking God's word again is not just some religious act. It is releasing the power of God, the promise of God into a situation. The Bible continues. I, I got a little excited about that, about producing results, but let's continue in verse 17. Elijah was a human just as we are. Yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again and the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield crops. Why would he talk, why would James talk about Elijah here in this verse trying to convince people that earnest prayer gets results? He wanted to give you a measure, an example of the kind of power that can happen when godly people pray. So he said, let me think of an example to show you that you can affect great change. Oh, I got one, Elijah. He stopped heaven from raining to bring judgment and to bring awareness in a fallen nation about God who they'd forgotten and to turn their hearts back to God. He became the central figure who had authority in the natural to stop the rain. This illustration was given so that you can see how effectual how much results or what type of influence you have as godly people who pray. It wasn't bragging on Elijah saying, wow, wasn't he great? Isn't he the superhero here? This illustration was so that we, being challenged to pray, would realize that there's real authority when we pray. Elijah was used as an example for you and I. Wait, you and I. You caught that? Did you catch that? And I love it because it says he was human, just like you and I. So that you wouldn't put him into this super special category like, oh, he's a prophet. You're a child of God. You're the body of Christ. You are co-heirs, joint heirs with Jesus. Amen. And so the Bible is trying to build your confidence in the influence that you have when you pray. Elijah was human just like us. So then sometimes in that verse we get tripped up with the part that says, but pastor, it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much, and I'm just a sinner. So what we do is we go try to find the most righteous person we know, which is typically our grandmother. Come on, grandmas. We go try to say, grandma, would you pray? Grandma, would you pray for my marriage? Grandma, would you pray because of our financial situation? Grandma, would you pray? Or you find some pastor, you say, Pastor, would you pray? No, we are meant to pray and we're here to pray and I'm honored to pray, but what I don't want to do is do your praying for you. I will pray with you 
but I will not carry the authority you carry when you stand in the office of your life and in the position in your home and you declare the prayers of God through your mouth. Are you hearing me, church? But we get hung up on this, but it says a righteous person. My friend, there's only one righteousness in the kingdom of God, and it's Jesus' righteousness. The truth is your grandmother may be more experienced. Your grandmother may have had more battles that she's overcome, but she is no more righteous than you. Because if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's only one righteousness that we all receive, and it's his. They are not more righteous than you. They're just more aware of their righteousness, possibly, than you are of yours. Are you hearing me, church? So by you, by faith, standing in God's presence and saying, I am forgiven, I have been made holy, I can pray and God would hear me as much as he would hear my wonderful grandmother or he would hear this person that I esteem, then that's your faith going into operation and what God has accomplished in your life. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30. You can write that down and look it up later. 1 Corinthians 1.30. Why must we pray? We talked about power, but now why? Why must we pray? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 10. I provide my notes for you on the app, but I would encourage you to keep taking notes because God will speak more to you. We must pray. Why? Why? Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Pray like this, Jesus said, our Father in heaven. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come Soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. God has given us the responsibility to be a bridge between heaven and earth. To pray his will from his throne and to release that will into this realm. We just got done speaking about the kingdom of God. Do you remember that? Please, do you remember that? We spent like eight weeks on it. The kingdom of God with a real king, with a real will, but yet he gave us something special, something different, and it's a body, a physical body, and he gave us dominion in this realm. See, here's the warning behind some of this. What God may will, what may God's, sorry, what may God will that won't happen because we fail to pray? Think about it. If we're responsible to say your will be done on the earth because we're the ones that have dominion in this realm, what if we don't pray? What may God will not happen because we fail to pray? What will from God may our family miss because we fail to pray? What will from God for our nation would we miss because we fail to pray? What will or wills from God would the next generation miss because we fail to pray? If we're that bridge between God's will from his realm into this realm, what will or wills will we miss because we aren't praying your will to be done in the earth? 
It's just what we were talking about this election just a minute ago. Oh, if God wills it, it'll happen. Then why did he tell us in teaching us to pray? Jesus, God in the flesh, saying, when you pray, pray, your will from heaven be done in the earth. It would seem it was, uh, it was, not, an imp- it was not relevant for him to say that if it was just going to happen. I'm telling you, there are wills, things that God desires to come to pass. That if we don't come into agreement, if we don't release them into your family, into your generation, into your circumstance, into your church, they won't come to pass. Not because God didn't will it, but because we didn't stand in the gap. Because we didn't ask. We didn't release the faith. We didn't declare it. Because we were told, when you pray, pray his will into the earth. And so sometimes we look at everything and say, well, God must have just wanted it to be that way, or we didn't fulfill our responsibility, and that's what we're left with. What will or wills from God won't come to pass because God's people, who are meant to be a house of prayer, are too busy to pray, doing everything except being a house of prayer. Remember what I said about this realm. Genesis 1, 26. Let them have dominion. He's talking about us in our earth suit. He said, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals of the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. God made us and he gave us the dominion in this realm. Psalms chapter 115 verse 16 The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. So here it is again. He's in heaven. We're in this realm. That's why we get to be the bridge and say, your will be done from the highest heavens into the earth, which you gave to us to have dominion. Let me say it another way. Both God and the devil access this realm through the will and words of mankind. Our bodies are like the driver's license in this realm, and the devil doesn't have one. But you know what? God partners with us as well because he gave it to us, and he's not taking it back. It's the way he, he, he set it up. Are you understanding this, church? If we don't see prayer as a responsibility, if we don't believe prayer affects anything, then we fail to pray because we do things that we view to be valuable. If we think it's just religious, then we tend to just leave it unless we're absolutely forced to do it or it's the last resort rather than first choice, first reaction. Let's see how prayer has changed situations throughout the Bible. Abraham prayed. Genesis chapter 18, verse 23 through 33. I won't turn there right now, but I'll tell you what happened. This is the first mention of prayer in the Old Testament. And what was it? It was a prayer of intercession to stay God's hand of judgment to save a city, Sodom and Gomorrah. Are you following this? And Abraham began to work with God and converse with God. God, if there was even this many, 
50 righteous, would you save the city? God, if there was just 40, if there was just 30, if there was just 10, and Abraham began to stand in the gap to pray for mercy for a city. Here's what I want to say about that. The the law first mentioned in the Bible is always important. The first time something's expressed in the Bible, it kind of gives you some insight into that thing. The first time prayer is mentioned in the Bible isn't about personal provision. It isn't about personal protection. It isn't about personal happiness. It's about changing the fate of humanity. It's about standing in the gap that people wouldn't be lost. The law of first mention. Now, is it wrong to pray for provision? Absolutely not. We have scriptures that show us to do that. Is it wrong to pray that God would protect you? No, not. It's great. But may we not boil our prayer life down to thinking it's just about our life and happiness. Our responsibility to be a house of prayer affects the nations, affects the judgment that a culture, a generation may or may not receive. Are you hearing me, church? And sometimes the judgment isn't even what may have come from God because Jesus took that judgment, but sometimes it's a judgment they're bringing upon themselves because of the harvest of their sin. And so we're praying on God's behalf and on their behalf to save them from themselves. Sometimes we're so consumed with praying for our needs that we forget we have the power to save a nation. A distraction of the enemy to keep us small in our vision, limiting our potential for dominion. And we exchange that idea of having dominion in prayer to just needing provision or survival. Your prayers are meant for more than just you surviving. Amen. Does God rescue us? Of course. Does God want you to be able to pray for provision? Of course. But if you can analyze your prayer time, and if it's just about you surviving, you're not standing in your office as the salt and the light, the city on the hill, the, the body of Christ in the earth or in your family. You should, we're, we're supposed to be praying about the future of the generations of our families, who they're becoming, where they're going, and not just praying about surviving day to day. Prayer is meant for more than that. Amen. You have a higher calling than survival. Joshua prayed in the Old Testament, and the Bible says the sun stood still. I want you to remember, these are normal human beings, just like you and I. But he was in the middle of a battle, and he needed some more daylight. And he began to pray, and God stopped the rotation of the earth. (laughs) You're like, that's such a Sunday school story, Pastor Kevin. That's not true. My Bible tells me God stopped the sun. God stopped the earth. And you know what? I believe God's big enough to do that. Come on now. And those stories are given that we may have faith that expands to the size of our God instead of what we can figure out in science or we can figure out that human beings will agree on and say, oh, that could happen. My God does things that are beyond whatever I could ask, think, or imagine. So you're praying for some big things. I get it, I'm praying for some big things. But is it really gonna happen or is that just kind of a religious thing to do? Well, if prayer can stop the sun, prayer can overcome anything you're facing. The God who's listening, the God who's just want you to release the faith, the God who's just want you to release the authority. Amen. 
Elijah brought down fire when he prayed. And again, so many of these examples weren't for personal pleasure or happiness. Stopping the sun wasn't so that Joshua could say, cool, look, I stopped the sun. But it was so that he could extend time to win the battle to save a nation. Elijah calling down fire wasn't so people say, wow, look at the fire ministry of Elijah. He is so powerful. It was to have an example that the God of Israel was alive versus the God of Baal that they've been serving, which is dead and cannot answer at all. But when our God answers, he not only answers, he can answer by fire if necessary. And so again, it wasn't about Elijah. It was about the people needing a breakthrough, needing a revelation. Amen. Elisha brought the dead back to life when he prayed. Here's one you might not remember, but a guy named Manasseh. Manasseh was a king. He was a wicked king. He was a terrible king. Like he was bad. Like really bad. But the Bible tells us that when he prayed, that God actually rescued him from Babylon. So here a wicked, terrible person even called out to God. And God heard them. I think those types of stories are important too because sometimes we leave it in the area of Joshua, Elijah, Moses, of course. But I'm just this guy that stumbles all the time or I'm not like that. God even listened to the prayer of a wicked king. Are you understanding this, church? Hezekiah, he was sick. And when he prayed, God said, I'll give you 15 more years. And then... He wanted some proof. And so the prophet says, what do you want the sun to do? Do you want it to go forward or backward? Ten minutes. He said, well, the sun always goes forward. Let's make it go backwards. And he prayed. And literally time itself had to submit to the prayer to God. You can't change time. God can. Samson, a backslidden man, received strength when he prayed, called out to God, and he fulfilled his purpose in his last moments. Job, who was in captivity, who had lost everything, who was sick and being plagued by loss and sickness and disease, Job in his captivity turned to pray and prayed and God restored Job from his captivity and restored everything that had been lost multiple times over. Our prayers matter. Our prayers affect change. Daniel prayed and the lion's mouths were stopped. Secrets of heaven were revealed. The future was declared. Jesus prayed, and you can see the effects of Jesus' prayer. One individual prayer I'll bring out is he prayed to bless a few loaves and a few fish, and he fed 5,000 people, probably 15 to 20,000 by the time it was done. Do you see how prayer affects change? throughout the scriptures, what our Bible is teaching us to do and to believe when God's people pray. One final example I want to share with you is Hezekiah again. Let's go back into the life of Hezekiah. Ready? Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings chapter 19. So in this situation, Hezekiah is surrounded by the Assyrians. He's surrounded by enemies much larger army military force than, than, than he has. This army that is surrounding him has just slaughtered and obliterated multiple other nations who, by the way, thought their gods would deliver them. But again, we're not just praying to our gods. We're praying to God. Amen. We're praying to the God. 
The most high God, the Bible refers to him as. There are no other gods before him. Somebody say amen. So it's not the function and religious practice of prayer. It's who we're praying to. The God that answers. The God who responds. But Hezekiah is surrounded by the impossible. And then the military captain sends a letter to him to threaten him, to show him that look at all these other nations that believed in their gods and they failed and, and we defeated them and they expected to be victorious and they lost. And the devil will always try to intimidate us. The devil will always try to tell you why it's not gonna happen and he will try to in pressure and put those burdens upon you. But what Hezekiah did is what I wanna show you today. Hezekiah took those threats. Hezekiah took those words of his enemy and he went and he laid them out before God. He said, God, look at their threats. Look at all their statements. And all those things are even in the natural true. But God, you are our God. And we are your people. And this battle is bigger than us. But this battle is not our battle. This battle is the Lord's. This battle is the Lord's. And what did, Isaiah, or what did Hezekiah do? He brought the battle to the Lord in prayer. He brought the pressure to the Lord in prayer. He brought the condemning voices to the Lord in prayer. He laid it out before God. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 14. Hezekiah received a letter from the messengers, and he read it. He went up to the Lord's temple, and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. By the way, I want you to realize that as Hezekiah began to declare where God was seated, he was also encouraging himself that God sits on the throne of the universe. You begin to put your eyes on the size of God and his authority. When you're facing down enemies, one of the worst things you can do is just keep looking at your circumstances. Start worshiping God for who he is, how big he is, how great he is, that he sits on the throne of the universe, and your faith will begin to rise to the measure of God. Amen. He says, And Hezekiah prayed this prayer to the Lord. O Lord God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubims. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. That doesn't sound like a religious prayer. It sounds like a governmental prayer. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. I love that, that even though he was defying the people, Hezekiah said, you're defying God. So God himself will take issue with those accusations. God himself will be the defender of himself. And it is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations, and they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all. They were only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, I love his faith, now he's calling out to God, now, O Lord our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord our God. 
The Bible tells us that the next day, the Lord got involved all night and he ended up killing like 180,000 of the enemy. And then they got called away and God just turned it all around in 24 hours. Turned it all around. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that when Hezekiah was surrounded by pressure, when he was surrounded by intimidation and, and the enemy speaking into his ear, that he knew enough to take that burden to the Lord in prayer and lay it out before God. And how many times do we not do that? We, we carry that pressure right here in our stomach and it gives us an ulcer. Come on. We carry that pressure right here on our shoulders and we, and we show it on our face and carry it on our face and we interact with the world around us as if the weight of the world is on our shoulders. Today I'm trying to challenge you. You are a house of prayer. And you have the freedom and the access to bring those things and give them to the Lord in prayer. And that is not doing nothing. That is doing the thing, first things first. First things first. Amen. How would our countenance change if we had a conversation with God and let God talk to us about it before we went home and started snipping at everybody because we were carrying the fear and anxiety of it all on ourselves? You are a house of prayer. This place, this congregation is a house of prayer, which, by the way, we would invite you to prayer every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock right here in this room. Prayer, I was taught by Jeannie. She'll be here this weekend. She used to say prayer is caught more than it is taught. I could teach you about prayer all day long, but one of the best ways to become a person of prayer is go be around other people of prayer. Amen. Calvary, we're facing some pretty big giants in this season. We just are. I think a lot of churches are facing big giants in every season. But we've got to get our prayer life back. We've got to get our faith that we can access heaven back. Before we start going at it all in the natural, we've got to do what God said do first. We are a house and a people of prayer. Amen. Throughout the scriptures, the prayers go up and answers come down. Prayers go up, answers come down. Sometimes the answer is by fire. Sometimes the answer is by power. Sometimes the answer is through wisdom. Sometimes the answer is through provision that we did not see. But prayer goes up and answers come down. Church, may we be a people who bring our needs before the Lord. You know, the question to end today is this. Will the prayer still go up? Let me ask you, will your prayers still go up? Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. It's a simple scripture. Jesus was talking. Here, just go there to end it. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. One day Jesus, was, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. This is Jesus' teaching that we should how often pray? Always pray and never give up. Why would he say never give up? Because he knows we will be tempted to give up. So he fought against that early on. And this in particular illustration, he says, there was a judge in a certain city, he said, who had neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God and I don't even care about people. Sounds like some judges that we, we see sometimes. 
but this woman is driving me crazy. I am going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. So then God shows us himself, differentiating himself from the unjust judge. He's not saying that he doesn't love people. He's not saying that he's not interested in you. He's saying if an unjust judge who doesn't love people, doesn't care about God, will listen to this woman because she wouldn't give up in her asking, how much more would the God who loved us enough to come personally and die on our behalf, to take on death, hell, and the grave for us, if an unjust, unloving, unkind judge would still give her the answer to her request, how much more would your heavenly Father, who loves you more than you could possibly ask, think, or imagine, how much more will he give justice or act on your behalf? The question is, will you still pray? Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from the unjust judge, even if he rendered a decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But here's the end of it. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who still have faith? What I believe needs to be added there is we'll still have faith enough to be asking to be praying, to be standing in the gap and believing big things. When the Son of Man comes, will there be, because remember the whole parable or lesson was that men should always pray and never give up. When the Son of Man comes, will the church have stopped praying? Will the body of Christ stop bringing up the prayers? We know God's will is to bring answer to those prayers, but will the people pray? Will the people call upon God? Will the people take those needs and lay them out before God? Or will we just start bearing the burden of all on ourselves. And so today as we start this series, House of Prayer, I just remind us, as the prayers go up, the answers will come. But we have to first get those prayers going again and be people of prayer that don't give up, who don't quit in prayer, who are relentless in asking and declaring and standing. It is not just about daily devotions. It is not just about a little feel-good time. It's about shaping the future. It's about the kingdom of God coming into the earth. You have influence. You have authority. You are the righteousness of God. Don't let condemnation or shame keep you out of the throne of grace. You go in there and declare great prayers, ask great things, and believe for miracles to come into your family, into this church, into our city, into this time, into this generation. The past generations didn't have more authority to pray, and they got revivals, and they saw salvation sweep a nation, and they saw nations come to Christ and fall on their knees. They didn't have more authority with God than you have or than I have. They just prayed more. They just began to believe, and they began to expect and they began to declare and they got involved and they stopped sitting around point fingers blaming everybody else and took their position and put their foot on the devil's neck and drew heaven's will into the earth and stopped letting the devil take over all the time waiting for Jesus to come they prayed heaven into the earth and that's our job that's our position that's our calling and responsibility to be people of prayer you can want something all, all day long, but you gotta pray, man. You gotta believe God. Stop complaining and get involved and stand on the promise and do what God says to do. Let's stand. Man.
Hey, Pastor Kevin, why'd you get so angry? I said, it's, it's not. It's just the sense of we just got to stop waiting for everything to change on our own. And just stop complaining about everything. And get back to believing and doing these things that God says. So today, I'll pray for you. But then I want to open up this altar for a minute before I close. And if you have something that's burdening you, like Hezekiah, I want you to come and lay it before God. Lay it open. Say, God, this is what the doctor said. This is what the bank's saying. This is what's going on. I lay it out before you and give the battle to the Lord. So, Father, right now, in Jesus' name, we stir up these things. And we are a people of prayer because we are a God who answers. We are a people of a God who answers prayer. And we believe you're listening. And we believe you have proven that you will respond. And so, God, today, we bring our cares before you. And we begin to release faith. And we begin to bring you into the battle. And God, we refuse to walk out of here carrying those same burdens. Make us a house of prayer. Make us personally a house of prayer. That this place would be forever known as a house of prayer. In Jesus' name. Church, why don't you come and lay those burdens down. We got a few minutes. Come on. Come on. Come unroll that thing before God and talk to God about it. Your 
Father, right now we pray for all these scrolls that are being laid open before you. Every accusation from an enemy, every oppression, every intimidation, every concern, every worry, every anxiety. And God, we lay it before you and we say the battle is the Lord's now. Lord, you are our God and they have touched our life. And God, we now give it over to you. You love us and you've promised us that you would take care of us and you would be our defender, you would be our mighty fortress, that God, that you go before us. And so Lord, we engage you now and we ask God, deliver us from these things. Make a way where there was no way. Bring water out of a rock. Bring quail in the desert. Restore the leper and put all the pieces that are missing back. Heal the body, heal the sick, heal the brokenhearted, heal the relationships, heal the marriages, heal the wounds inside. Deliver us from evil, for you are with us. And Lord, I pray your rod and staff comfort us. Lord, I thank you today. We thank you today that our prayers do not fall on deaf ears. Our prayers are not prayed to gods of stone or to wood but where our prayers are prayed to the living God, to the most high God, who's proven himself to engage and to be faithful. Do miracles today. Make the sun stand still if necessary. God, do what you have promised, do what you have declared, bring it to pass. We give you the faith and we open the bridge between heaven and earth into this realm bring forth your will in their lives, in our lives, in our church, in our city, in our nation, in our generation. Bring forth your will. Be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you can agree with that church, would you just give God thanks this morning and praise him. Praise him as if he's already done it. Praise him as if he's heard it. Let me ask you this question. Are you ready? Have you met Jesus as your Lord and Savior? The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means every one of us needs a Savior. The Bible goes on to say that the wages and penalty of our sin is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. God wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. He wants relationship with you. And he wants you to have eternal life. The Bible goes on to say that all who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so today I want to give you an opportunity 
to call on the name of the Lord. You may say, Pastor Kevin, I've never asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Well, then let's call on him today. Or you may say, I used to have a relationship with God, but I walked away. I've grown cold and stagnant, but I would like to recommit, restart my walk with God. Well, then pray. I'm going to count to three, and when I do, I just want you to slip your hand up right where you are. And we're going to see that as an, as an act of faith to say, God, I want to commit or recommit myself to you. I want to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. So if you just close your eyes for a moment, when I count to three, if that's you and you need to get right with God for any reason, just slip your hand up right where it is and we'll pray for you right at your seat. Ready? One, two, three. If that's you, put your hand up. I need to get right with God. Put your hand up. There's a hand, one hand, two hands. Thanks. Three. Anybody else? Four, five, six, seven. Awesome. Anybody else? Eight. Anybody else? Nine, 10, awesome, wonderful, 10. And if I missed anyone, God saw it, but we'll pray. Let's all pray together so no one's praying by themselves. Would you please pray with me? Pray this prayer after me. Mean it as much as you can with all your heart. God's listening. Dear God, I thank you that you see me just as I am. I realize that I've sinned and I've walked away from you. I receive Jesus Christ today as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died for me and that he rose again. Please forgive me of my sins. Wash me, cleanse me, make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take every part of me now. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you celebrate those 10 or more? Welcome home, everybody. Welcome home. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 1030 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.